Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is someone that we will all recognise from our screens. I feel like she's been part of my life since forever. She's recently been filming in Australia for Channel 4's thriller Riptide, a Stay Close on Netflix also with Jimmy Nesbitt and Chris Jumbo. And she's one half of Shakespeare and Hathaway. She is the Shakespeare in that and <laughs> mum of two, a set of twins no less, is Jo Joyner. Hi! Oh, hi, thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Yeah, it's been a good day. It's been full on, but actually it's nice to sit here with a cup of tea and talk to you because I feel like I know you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've both had identical days where we've just crammed loads of stuff in. Like, Zoom is our friend right now, get it all done, but you end up feeling quite knackered, but at the same time realising you've been more productive than ever. Yeah, because we haven't spent it all on trains rushing about. That's yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because you've been doing a lot of travelling this year. 
How is I that? No, I went to Australia. Well, you know what? The twins have just turned 12 uh, and gone to secondary school. For some reason, it felt like, therefore, it was easier to travel further away, which just doesn't make sense because they all still need you whatever time and whatever age, don't they? I think they were old enough to for me to explain that, you know, how long it was really going to be. And it was over the summer holidays. I don't think I could have done it if it wasn't, which meant that they got an adventure too. So they came out. Oh, they came with you? Yeah. Oh, that's so they amazing. came in the middle of it for a chunk. Nice. So I started it on my own because, you know, new jobs, you need to be all head in the game. Yeah. And then by the time they came out, I knew people well enough and it was going you know I could relax a bit more and my husband's got family in Perth so they flew over to Melbourne he's got family in Melbourne as well so we had this whole family reunion that we never would have got actually if it wasn't for that job so we had a lovely adventure in the middle and then they went home and I just I finished the last week or so on my own as well so I topped and tailed it and it was was a real treat yeah. Joe, where did you grow up? I grew up here where I'm recording from in Oxfordshire in a little village and I've been all over and I, I lived in Cardiff. I trained in Cardiff at the Welsh College. I lived in Manchester for a couple of years. I lived in Leeds for a bit while I was filming there. I lived in London for a long time. And then when the kids needed to start school, we were just about to sort of either stay in jobs we weren't happy with so that we could afford to pay for somewhere or or jump through hoops and pretend that my husband was more Catholic than he is to get into a half-decent <laughs> school. And we were doing all this kind of thing. And I went to my husband, what are we doing? We don't even like where we live. We want to be in the country and back where we were. And so, and at the last minute, we did a whole U-turn, a bit like the government. And, um, <laughs> and then we just ended up coming back. And then they literally went into the school that I went to all those years before. And I hadn't lived here since I was 19. So it was a long sort of loop. Yeah. I haven't looked back. I haven't regretted it for a second because they're getting a really lovely, the childhood I really would have wanted them to have that I had, where they go and knock on their friends' doors and they all go and play out and it's still very wholesome and everybody knows each other, which drives you mad by the time you're 14, you need you know, a boyfriend that drives so you can get away from it all. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but actually, for now, it's really, it's really been great because I never work from home, apart from Shakespeare and Hathaway. Is that that literally just filmed around the corner then? That was on my doorstep. And so, I mean, that was just a dream job, wasn't it? When we moved back here, it was about two or three years after we moved back here, it came up. My agent was like, you know, um, it's BBC, it's Mark Benton. I went, oh, hello. I really, you know, because I loved his work and I, I just knew that we'd get on. And, uh, and she said, and it's it's filmed all around Stratford-upon-Avon. And I went, oh, I need this. I, now I want that more than ever. And I'm very casual about the jobs. You know, you try very hard not to fall yeah. in love with them before you've got them. Yeah, I remember walking into that audition really vividly because I must have had a real sort of moment before I went in of going, right, this this needs to happen. <laughs> that's di- that, that's interesting, though, because obviously I've gone back into acting <clears throat> now, but I can remember as a teen in my early 20s, before the kids came along, when auditions like that came up that did see you going, you know, far and wide, you can't help but think about what would that look like? And then to do that with kids, part of you has to kind of go, oh. You compromise, you. Yeah. You, do, you end up, you know, there's definitely jobs I haven't gone for or mm. taken because they were too far away. And interestingly, not the massive ones, because my, my husband is brilliant, brilliant man, and he's also quite like me. We're quite nomadic, and we're quite up for an adventure. Yeah. And, and actually, that's one of those things that has got slightly different, uh, more difficult now that the kids are older. So, you know, if somebody said to us, look, you're round to the final stage, but you can't go to the final stage now unless you'll live in America for two years, and we have a little family meeting and go, yeah, we'll do that. So we go for it, you know, or, you know, you're down to this, but you've got to go to New Zealand 
for three years, you know, and we'd have yeah. another little, you know, and maybe not let the kids know that one, just kind of throw it out. And go, what, what do you think about that? You know, and I remember us doing that with one job for New Zealand. And my husband was like, I'm totally down for it. I'm up for it completely. <laughs> Let's just do it. And we were like, well, we can't, the kids are sort of at an age where we can't say to them, how do you feel about us moving there when we know it might not, you know, it's right hanging in the balance. We don't yeah. want to upset their world. So just sort of threw it out there one day when they were walking towards the park and my little girl was pushing a pram at the time and we went, how would you feel like if we if we just had to, I don't know, just for some reason for mum's job, just live somewhere else, like, you know, somewhere abroad, somewhere really fun, you know, and my, my little boy was like, um, what language would they speak? I said, well, I mean, well, say, let's say they spoke English, you know, like, I don't know, America or, or New Zealand or somewhere, you know, and he was like... <laughs> Yeah, I'll be up for it. And my little girl went, absolutely not. <laughs> so I just pushed her pram off. And my husband and I looked at each other and thought, well, actually, that's three to one. So we did we did put myself through for the next round of that, but it didn't work out. So she, she got away in the end. But yeah, the really long-term ones, we've still considered. But there's definitely jobs that I haven't done. And in fact, there's something just recently I was posed a question. And here you go. I'm still, you're making slight compromises. Yeah. Uh, a really fabulous team that I would really love to work with, who I know very well. And we were in talks about a character. I have to be careful about what I say. Yeah. It's not out there yet. And they said, yeah, we absolutely had thought of Joe. We'd really love Joe, but there will be a lot of um, sex in it. And we didn't know how she'd feel about that because we know, you know, she's got kids. And it's so true. When I think of the stuff that I got mm. to in No Angels and things that will, you know, will obviously follow you and haunt you a bit. But, um, <laughs> but it's very different now having kids that are about to go into, you know, puberty and, yeah. a, and a son who's, you know, going to turn 13 soon. It is a different consideration about the part. Obviously, there's always going to be some kissing and some sex in, in most dramas. That's fine. But this one was just particularly like, well, that character will probably at it quite a lot. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so again, another one where I didn't put myself forward, you yeah. know, in that occasion, because you've got to consider it, haven't you? Yeah. So did you always think you would have a family? Was that always a part of your sort of future vision for yourself? Always. Always. I was thinking about this earlier. Because I know so many people really consider it. I think yeah. certainly the younger generations think about so much now, don't they? Everything's got to be quite well thought out and spoken about. And, you know, and you think, oh, I wonder what decisions and things, are, stupid things I wouldn't have done if I'd have talked about things so much, you know. <laughs> um, but for sure, I remember being a little bit tipsy when we were about 16 with my A-level student friends. And we were, you know, big philosophizers. We thought we knew everything. And we'd kind of throw these questions out. And I remember someone saying, what do you think the meaning of life is? And I remember thinking, I don't know, but I think I'll know it when I hold my own baby. I just, I feel like I was fending off broodiness from the yeah. age of 16. I was in a quite a long relationship from 16 to 25. Right. And luckily, I would say, his sister had had a teenage pregnancy, so he was really careful. He really knew, and he was very good about yeah. being safe. And, you know, so there was never any incidents or accidents that could have happened, really. But I knew that I, I just wanted, and I would always have children or, you know, wanted a family, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So when you met Neil, when was that brought up? Oh, my gosh, it was brought up. This is going to sound ridiculous, isn't it? So Neil and I met when we were at 19 and 18 at university. We were actually best friends at university. Really? Yeah, we were great friends in amongst a lot of friends. You know, yeah. there was groups of lads, groups of girls and stuff. And there was a whole year where he wasn't allowed to speak to me because his girlfriend 
at the time thought that he had a thing for me. And it turns out she was obviously right now, but I just thought that was ridiculous because <laughs> I had a boyfriend in Manchester and I really wasn't interested in him. He was just a boy to me. And I knew I was going to know him forever and I knew I loved him. But he wasn't very mature and he wasn't sort of fully grown. You know, like boys aren't, are they, when they're that age? They take till they're about 25. So I just thought, I didn't know why she didn't like me and I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, it turns out she was right. I'll give her that. Um, <laughs> and we actually got together about three years after university. It was really quick. Then it was just so hard and fast. It was like, oh my God, it's you. How did I not see it's you? Of course it's you. And in fact, for years, we used to sort of wake up next to each other and go, <laughs> Neil Madden, don't join us. This is ridiculous. Can you believe it? <laughs> but I do remember vividly, in Hyde Park, there was this very hazy, sunny summer that we first got together where, you know, we didn't do much else than get together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, and, I and, think and I know what you and, mean. You know, <laughs> and in between that, lie in the park and sort of recover. Not from, <laughs> from that, from hangovers and big nights out, I mean. <laughs> and I remember us talking about all the things we wanted to do, you know, and ambitions and like he, he wanted to go through the rainforest and... I'd wanted to do the Inca Trail and, you know, just loads of things and kids for sure. And yeah. I remember he got up from that and I, I've got a vivid memory of him walking along. He always wore a trilby hat and he had this little sun hat thing on and he was walking off to get us a coffee, I think. And I saw this vision of a little mini him, a little boy next to him and just went, oh my gosh, I really want his children, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I could just see it. It's funny, isn't it? It is. I think there's a thing as well. When you get together with someone younger, I feel like almost like the future and the babies and everything feels further away. But the fact that you knew each other so well and got together later, yeah. not later, later, but I mean, it wasn't like you were with your ex at 16. There is probably because of all that history, all the doubt just wasn't there. Yeah, there wasn't any game playing either. Yeah. I think he had asked me out over the years a few times, to be fair. So I think he wasn't... He played me really well, actually, because I was out of a long-term relationship and I'd been out of it for about four months when we started seeing each other, you know? I'd not really had a lot of relationships. I'd certainly not had any casual sex. So I was properly like... Well, you know, I mean, this is just a thing. This is just a fling. This is nothing serious because, I mean, I've not been single for years. So I was gunning for this hender in September where I thought I'm going to have all the casual sex that everybody else has, you know? <laughs> um, and um, by the time I got on that hender, and he was just like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It is what it is. And I think he might have, the first time we'd accidentally slept together, he had been with a girlfriend. He was with somebody. And it wasn't serious, but they'd seen each other for a couple of months, I think. And he'd said that morning... I think um, I think I better finish with so and so, and I, I went, oh no, don't, don't, because she might be the one. Don't worry, don't, because this is all very casual for me, you know. Saying he and bless him, he just went, nah, I, I will. It's no pressure. It's just, it's, it's not my thing anyway. So you know, it's not the sort of thing I do. So I will finish it. I was like, mm, okay, but don't do it for me. And so by the time I went on that hen do, they were all ribbing me all the time. They were like, oh, who are you on the phone to? Your non-boyfriend again. Is that the one you're not seeing? You know? And then when I got back, I thought, yeah, this is stupid. You've played a really good game here. But yeah, why am I trying to... So no casual, casual sex, sex on the hen do. No casual sex. Just literally dude. on the phone to no, him. <laughs> I really... Oh, on the phone to him all the time. And in fact, all, all that... He was my casual sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then it led to you two getting married. It did, yeah. Yeah, it led to us two getting married. And then very quickly, actually, yes, we decided, we agreed to start trying when we were 
when I was 28, 20, 28, yeah. No, he was 28, I think I was Was there a reason for that number? No, we felt like we'd waited long enough, because I'd been fending off rudeness from 16, yeah. I thought I'd done a pretty good job. And we had kind of inclinations from the doctors that it might take us a while, but we didn't have a clue that it was going to be as bad as it was. Did you go and get sort of investigations, if you like, done before even trying? Yeah, we had, because it's his story, really, so yeah, I won't go yeah, into yeah. it too much. But, yeah, as far as we knew, everything was working, going to be fine, but it might take 50% longer, it might have taken a bit longer. So we kind of agreed that we weren't getting married, I think... As soon as we were engaged, we were trying. To, we even before we were engaged, we said we agreed that we would start trying because we knew it might take a bit longer. Yeah. And then by the time we got married, we'd already been trying a year. We were kind of getting a little bit worried, I suppose. Yeah. And then, yeah, it ended up taking a bit longer, and and then we ended up finding out that we were very unlikely to do it naturally without ICSI IVF is what we had in the end, and we made only two embryos that were implanted we, we got six eggs from me we fertilized three one perished on the way to the clinic so we had we were supposed to just put one in mm-hmm. for that day in that 10 minute slot with my legs in the air <laughs> and um and she said um oh so you're just putting one in there's one hatching now so we'll put it in straight away and I was like great um, and what about the other one she said I said to her why do you think the other one the third one perished and she said what we do know is that they cultivate better in pairs and they're in twos in the Petri dish. <laughs> so the one that perished was on its own. She told me this just yeah. as she was putting one in. And so I said, um, right. And she said, you're just putting one in today. And I said, no, well, that means we're leaving one on its own. And you've just told me that they survive better oh. if they're in a Petri dish with, you know, with another. And they can't recommend, because I was quite young for IVF, they, you know, their advice would be just to put one back in because I had plenty of time to try again. So they, they have to be impartial. So they kind of just all sat there mute going, hmm. <laughs> and I was like, but you've just said this. Hmm. Well, so can I put two in? Well, the advice would be that you put one in. <laughs> you know, they were all being very good. And I said, um, well, what's the chances of that one that I'll be leaving, you know, perishing or, you know, surviving defrosting and implantation again? And they, she said, oh, I'll have another look. She said 30%. I said, put them both in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Edie and Fred. So really, really incredibly lucky, aren't we? You know, Well, and that split-second decision of that discussion in that 10-minute, you know, slot. Yes. Yeah. But it's one of those things that one conversation... Or one little sentence that she said led into everything else. Absolutely changed our lives, yeah, for sure. And I'm so glad. I wouldn't have it any other way, um, obviously. It does teach you to be very grateful having IVF, you know. So you didn't really talk about it until you were successful. Did you talk about it to friends and stuff? We kept it quite private. I talked to a makeup artist quite a bit at work. Her husband was a doctor, Susie, and she was really, really lovely to me because it's quite emotional. It's difficult at times, you know, isn't it, obviously? So and, how did um, you find out about <clears throat> about the whole experience, what that was going to be like and the, what the process, or did you literally just have to find out as you oh, went? I am a massive researcher and I am obsessed with medical stuff anyway. So right. we... As soon as we knew we were going to have to go for it, apart from looking out there for happy stories and normal people and magazines and things like that, I read all of Robert Winston's books back to back. <laughs> um, and in fact, we went on a holiday that to cheer ourselves up. We knew we were going to start the IVF in the March. We were offered it in the January 
And I just thought, no, January is a dismal month, really. Let's do it in spring because, you know, even the animals are making babies in spring. It just sort of <laughs> made sense to me to do it in spring. So we waited a bit longer. And so in that January, we went to Thailand, the two of us, and I read Robert Winston back to back. And we kind of had a, a fabulous holiday that we wouldn't, we knew we wouldn't be able to afford to do with kids for a long time and tried to make the best of all that. And I journaled, I journaled a lot. I've still got all my journals. And every time I'm out of work, I go to them to go, there must be a novel or a book in here. And I start yeah, it and then I oh, really? get another job and I go away and you know this, G, you do need a room of your own. And yeah. it is, it's not something you can do part time, is it? No. Um, but it is something I'd really love to do because they turned out to be funnier than you'd expect, actually, you know, because things, it's laugh or cry, isn't it? A lot of things like IVF and stuff. So, yeah, so I, I wrote a lot and I read a lot. So actually, yeah, I believe in taking control. I went and I found exactly who I wanted to go and see at the clinic that I wanted to go to. And I knew that I wanted a short protocol, which I had, which is why I didn't, we didn't make so many. Cause it's yeah. kind of a smaller amount, really. So, yeah, I did take charge of it a bit. How did you feel when you found out you were pregnant? Was it a test that you had to take a certain amount of days after? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was the two-week wait, they call it, in the forum, the TWW, you know. And isn't it funny, I think to myself, now there's so many women that I will have spoken to about this and yes. they won't have a clue that it was me, yeah. you know, in the forums. I think my name was Lenny, if anybody's listening and they were in those forums. <laughs> Why Lenny? <laughs> it was one of my old dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what was the two-week wait like? I don't remember so much the two-week wait, but I remember doing the pregnancy test and that being a really not what I expected it to be. Right. So because I've been so regular, my periods had always been really regular and I'd never really used birth control. So I was with the moon and I really knew my cycle very, very well. And it wow. Was, yeah, so because of that, that's why I did the short protocol as well, because it meant they didn't need to control me. I was really reliable. Yeah. And so I convinced them that they could run alongside me. But because of that, I actually, that was the first pregnancy test and only pregnancy test I'd ever done. Wow. So all those years of me trying to get pregnant, I would get, you know, I would, I, I put on quite a bit of weight over one of the, the years before we did IVF. I think because I kept going, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. Oh, yeah, boobs are feeling a bit. Oh, well, better feed the baby. <laughs> and then I'd have a period. I wasn't hungry at all. It's just PMT. Um, and, uh, but I was so like clockwork. There was never any need, I mean, for me to do one. I'd only ever been maybe a day late or, you know, two. So, mm. so that was the first test we'd done. And because IVF just teaches you to be really cautious, I think. So I went to the toilet, couldn't wait got up at about five, six in the morning, went to the toilet, peed on it, left it on the side, and then I couldn't look at it. So I came out and said to Neil, I can't look. I can't look. You look. So he went and looked, and it was positive. And I thought, I would have thought in my head that we'd be shouting and screaming and, you know, jumping about. And actually, we just both, it was like we both held our breath and got back into bed and just laid there really still. And if I'm honest, we didn't have that reaction that I thought we would have until we went and had a nuchal scan or, you know, at this charity in London, because I was still working and moving about, so we couldn't go to the normal hospital. And we were on the corner of the street around the back of John Lewis on Oxford Street, and 
we'd come out of that and there was 12 weeks gone and we had two babies and two heartbeats and everything and we kind of then were like oh my god we're actually gonna have these you know so I think we were really cautious there's at seven weeks we had a scan and we only had one heartbeat and we had to go away for another week and wait and see if if one disappeared or got absorbed so I just think the whole the whole process teaches you to just be a little bit more cautious I suppose and and I'm sure it's the same for people who've had miscarriages in the past and and any difficulty with pregnancy that it kind of yeah it wasn't what I imagined so yeah we were very very cautious and just held it's like we held our breath it's difficult in that moment to just feel the joy because you know how precious that is and every all that journey that came before it it's it's part of that it's not a standalone thing you know you've got all that history there as well that's kind of yeah it's it's just yeah and you're thinking could I be that lucky really could we have been that lucky that you know so you just it's like tiptoeing towards 12 weeks and then going oh my gosh yeah brilliant so being in the scan and realizing you are indeed having twins I mean obviously you knew it was possible even in the seven week scan you know one heartbeat but you know you never know yeah so all of a sudden not one child coming home but two yeah I couldn't have been more happy honestly ignorance is bliss and all that I just you know I thought this is in for a penny in for a pound it's great and I do you know what I do think you know things happen for a reason in that as I've already alluded to, I'm quite controlling, a bit of a perfectionist. I don't know, and, I about said, <laughs> and sometimes in those early days, I remember thinking, you know what, if we had had one baby and my breastfeeding experience was really different with the two of mine. So, you know, say we'd had one baby and that had been easy, who I fed really easily and we were, you know, just together all the time. And that was that. I don't think he'd have had a look in, Neil. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times like I remember really vividly when you've got two, you're just so relieved. There's another pair of arms doing it as well yeah. and that the both babies are okay, that you're just grateful regardless of how it's done. So, you know, there would be time. I remember looking across at him changing a nappy while I was changing a nappy and thinking, no, 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 not like that. <laughs> and actually, you don't. You haven't got time. You then just go, oh, look, there's a nappy on the baby. The baby is happy and clean. It's all fine. And you're just great. <laughs> yes, he did it differently. Yes, he used 400 baby wipes. No, he didn't cover the top, so he got peed in the eye. You know, all those things. But he's going to do it differently, and it's going to be, you know, I think those things are good. I'm a better person for it. We were a better team because we had the two of them, I think, than one. So there you go. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How was your pregnancy? I imagine a twin pregnancy... Well, you know, there's two babies in there. Oh, I was really, really sick. Yeah, the morning sickness was real. I never threw up, so there was never any relief. Oh. And I remember a good way of explaining this to my husband. We'd been to the soap awards, and the soap awards, when I was, must have been less than 12 weeks, because nobody knew that I was pregnant, and we couldn't tell anyone was pregnant. But we were there, and still it was a long late night, but I obviously wasn't drinking. And I woke up in the morning, felt like I'd been hit by a bus, like usual, felt so sick and tired and sort of rolled over and went to Neil, oh my God, why did we drink so much? Because I was just <laughs> half asleep. And he went to me, you didn't, you didn't drink anything, you're pregnant. And I went, oh, oh yes. Oh, and well, that's how it feels, Neil. That's how it feels. You know, when you're really hung over and you think, I don't think I'm going to make it through today without being sick. That's how morning sickness feels, but all day without any relief and no sickness, <laughs> except for flash wipes. You know, the lemon wipes? I remember yeah. cleaning the bathroom for some reason and it wafted past me and I didn't feel sick. So I just sat on the floor with these <laughs> flash wipes that smelt of lemon going, oh, thank God, I don't feel sick for a minute. That might be the lemon and ginger thing people talk about. It might actually it be might just be. the smell of lemon that was helping. Yeah. I also mm. love the fact that you had probably the whole pregnancy. You could have just had a flash wipe pack in your bag. Anytime. I did. I did. I got some. I got some lemon oil for my wrist in the end because the flash wipes weren't so handy. But yeah, I definitely did. And now I can't. Oh, who's that fancy scent? Joe Malone. Mm. They do a lime and basil or something. Yeah. Scent. And I can't go near it now. Really? Because it in- instantly reminds me of morning sickness. Because I think I used that a lot right. to stop me feeling sick ironically mm-hmm. but anyway so now yeah now that's not for me and then in the middle I just felt fabulous honestly I felt fabulous and looked fabulous and then at the end <laughs> I was huge so they were big they were because I'm five foot two you're teeny I'm teeny but I've, I've always been curvy you know but I but <laughs> I was five foot two and they were six eleven and five eleven <gasps> And two placentas. So I just looked like Mr. Greedy from the side. Were you um, working through? I was home? working up to about 33 weeks. 30, and I was, Did they have I was to huge. hide you? Tanya just had massive handbags, big, big handbags, or a washing basket. So I was a mum, <laughs> so that was okay. Big washing basket in front of the big belly. The only thing that I do remember thinking, and this was funny, because I, I had to leave and have a row, what they were best at. And in the script, it said, you know, she slams the front door, runs down the steps and gets into the car and drives off. He says such and such and drives off. And so we were talking with the director saying, well, obviously, I can't see my feet anymore. I'm not running down those steps. So yeah. we'll slam the, he was like, yeah, we'll slam the front door. We'll cut to this. It'll be fine. And then you just do the last two steps and that'll be fine. So it was all working well. This is my last scene I shot when, you know, when for maternity leave. Except for the car I had at the time was, I think it was a BMW or a Mercedes. It was something very low. Anyway, and I was humongous, and Fred was sitting right up on my lungs, and Edie was below in perfect position, and he was sitting up with his legs out. And <laughs> every time I stomped into this car and sat down, 
I just made this involuntary grunt because of the weight <laughs> of a baby onto my lungs and my, and, you know, and then my diaphragm going onto my voice box. So I'd be like, no, because I've had the last of it. <gasps> <laughs> and eventually I went to them, you're just going to have to dub it out because I can't not make that sound. <laughs> I used to think, oh, they're going to they're gonna be traumatised from all these rows that we have because it's not a happy place, is it, Wilford? Well, yeah, like many people, like you try and be as calm as possible during pregnancy, totally. you do a little baby, so, oh, whatever you can to keep yourself calm. Exactly. So I used to hide behind the scenes after doing an emotional scene and just go, oh, it's OK, it's me. That was all pretend. <laughs> just to sort of talk to them and go, everything's fine and I'm happy. Not really divorcing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess because her voice was always different to yours, so it probably, yeah, although it came from you vibration-wise, yeah. you'd like to think they can distinguish between the two. <laughs> I hope so. They don't seem like they've been through a divorce and all the traumas. They seem fine. I think I got away with it. <laughs> so leaving and going maternity leave, how did that yeah. feel? Because how long had you been in EastEnders before you left for that? Oh, maybe six years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was great. Do you know what? I was so ready for it. Mm. And we moved back to our first little house we'd ever bought down the road from here in this village. And I painted furniture and sewed and was and gardened and was just like a little country bumpkin. And I was just really there wasn't long, I don't feel like I had long at home before they came. So I don't know when I worked up to now. Because they came I mean, a week early. Right. They made me have them a week early. There was this... <laughs> Apparently, twins aren't supposed to be able to move much once they're, you get to a certain amount of weeks because there's two of them in there. So they were like, well, your little girl is... Well, they didn't say... I did, we didn't know yeah. that they were a girl and boy, right? So twin one was in perfect position, you know, head down in position. And twin two was sitting up on my lungs with their legs out. I was still going to hypnobirthing. I was still going to try and do it naturally and... My obstetrician was brilliant and he was up for it. He was like, you know, I won't be too graphic, but he was like, once you've had the first, I can get my arm in if there's trouble. It's going to be fine. <laughs> well, okay, great. Uh, it was very straight talking. But... When you're about to give birth. Must have been I like, know, but do you know oh, what? Okay. <laughs> I, I was so straight talking. I quite like that, you know, I don't mind it. So he was like, it's going to be fine. So I was all set to do it. And I must admit, by then, I was so humongous. I had so much water. I couldn't even get a pair of Birkenstocks on my feet. Wow. That's how big they were. And I wasn't sleeping upstairs anymore because if I lay down, I couldn't breathe because of the weight of yeah. six pound 11 Fred on my lungs. So I was sleeping downstairs on the sofa, sitting up by then. And I couldn't, and I remember the phone going and I'd left it upstairs. And I remember looking at the, <laughs> at the bottom of the stairs, just looking to the top of the stairs thinking, Oh God, there's no way. Oh God, I can't wait to have my body back. Oh my God, I can't, I, know, I can't even think about walking up these stairs and then going, oh my God, I can't think about getting up the stairs and I'm about to do the biggest marathon of my life, giving birth. Yeah. How on earth? And I'm getting this complete fear and going, how am I going to give birth if I can't walk up the stairs? I can't even breathe enough to walk up the stairs. And literally a few nights after that, we love celebrity. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, in our house. You know, so we watched you very fondly. And um, I used to watch it way back then. It's, I'm a bit nostalgic about it because yeah. I used to watch it heavily pregnant going, oh, my God, when we find out the winner of this, I'm going to have two babies. That's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. So we were watching it, sitting on the couch one night. And I can't tell you, it was like 
a monster inside me and you'll know the feeling but double it I suddenly I could have thrown up instantly everything moved my husband leapt across the room because he could see my stomach looking like an alien and went whoa, whoa what's happening what's happening I went I don't know I don't know and everything moved and then a couple of days later I went into the obstetrician and he did my scan he went oh Oh, they've moved. I, he, I said, I know. <laughs> I, I saw it. I said, I thought that must be what it was. He said, well, yeah, they're not supposed to be able to by now. But yes, they have. And twin one has got up and lay across the lap of twin two. So now they just make a big ball. Right. And I must admit, I feel like it was a gift she gave me, <laughs> really, because she'd been in perfect position all that time and they weren't supposed to be able to move. But suddenly they did. And it meant I had to go in and have a cesarean instead which by then I think I was quite relieved about because I wasn't I just didn't know how I would get the breath to to do it yeah so more power to any woman that's done that naturally but yeah so in the end we had we had a cesarean what was it like when they arrived just incredible wasn't it our anaesthetist took pictures for us really so I've got the most incredible picture of Fred coming out under the operating light and he had my dad's hands. So I remember Edie came first and I really was so worried that I, this is going to sound terrible to anybody because we're all just grateful to have anything, aren't we? But I was really scared of having two boys right? because I just, you know, everyone I knew with boys, they just never went in the same direction. They ran everywhere. There was never, you know, it was just chaos. And I thought, I don't know if I can do it, you know? And also, I I don't know about you, but my mum, and I, we're each other's confidant, you know, we're very, very close and we're thoughtful for each other. And I was sort of, I thought, I just, I would love to have a girl in that mix as well, because, you know, I need someone to be thoughtful for me. And I, you know, I want to have that relationship that my mum has got um, with me, but I didn't think I'd be lucky enough to. So when they first pulled Edie out and went, it's a girl. And then they, I had her on my chest and I remember just looking down at her little eyes and thinking, oh, my God, I'm so lucky. This is amazing. Now, whatever happens, it's all going to be fine. And then she went off with Neil to get weighed. And then um, Fred came out true to form, making noise. He hasn't stopped since. He talks and talks. He came out shouting. And I just remember looking and thinking, oh, my God, that's my dad's hands. How do we make these little humans that look like my brother or my dad? Or You know, how is that possible? And them saying, and here's your little boy. And I was like... Oh, I can't believe we're that lucky. And as soon as he hit my chest, he shut straight up and just looked at me with his great big eyes. And I was like, yeah, it's me. I've never heard someone say they've got, they've got, they've got my dad's hands before or reference like a hand. If you saw this picture, if you saw this picture, you'd see he, because of the way he came out, he's in the light. His hand has caught the light. And yeah, (laughs) my dad's got particularly strong, lovely hands. And my brother has got those. And funny enough for my, I think it was my, I can't remember what birthday, my 30th maybe, no, older than that. But one of my birthdays, there's a really lovely lady in the village who does amazing photography just as a hobby. And I had said to her and my on my husband, what I'd love for my birthday is a photograph of them. I've got it just down there. It's my dad's hand on a table, my Aww. brother's hand and Fred's hand. Three generations of their little hands on the table. Very That's sweet. so lovely. Mm. So good. What was it like heading home with two? And your own recovery as well. I think that's one thing about cesarean that isn't talked... We try and talk about it more and more, but the recovery of that, it's major surgery. 
It's major. Well, here's something I've never spoken to anyone about. It's actually more common than I realise. I had post-operative retention, so that's where the catheter was taken out. I failed to empty, so right. I, I couldn't wee. And I ended up having over two litres on me and having to pull the emergency cord because I was coming off morphine. I didn't know what the feeling was. I didn't know what a yeah. cesarean felt like. I just felt pain down there. And I thought, well, I would, wouldn't I? I've just had a baby. Yeah. So it wasn't until a lot of the meds had worn off, I realised oh, maybe I need a wee. And so I, I got myself to the bathroom and, you know, Neil had gone home to pick stuff up and, and I sat there and I, I just couldn't go. And so I collapsed outside of it and had to pull the cord. And, you know, I was in the hospital for five days. And by the time I came home without a catheter on that time, it was still another thing I was doing was bladder training and trying to keep an eye on my fluid in and out at the Mm -hmm. same time as breastfeeding. And it's all a bit of a blur, those first few weeks and months. I'm sure they are for most people. I mean, I was definitely ready to literally made a nest out of my bed (laughs) <laughs> and devoted myself to them because I'd planned for that, you know? Yeah. And so that was okay. I try, you know, I was luckily enough, I didn't have to try and spring back to work in two weeks or, you know, do anything else. But by the time I got home, because I was in hospital longer than we thought, my mum and dad had gone away because I think oh. my mum had thought, well, I'll be around for that first bit and yeah, then we'll go yeah. away and leave them to that. But actually it turned out that it meant that when I came home, she'd gone away. They didn't do paternity leave. My husband was working as an electrician at the time and he had to go straight back to work. Oh, my God. And I think locally some of my friends probably thought I had so much family around me that I'd be mm. fine. So actually, and I was a long way from North London by then, so actually it was very lonely and intense. It was just me. I would have loved things like these podcasts then. And that first week, it was just me suddenly and these two babies. You know, I definitely did more lifting and carrying and things than you should, I expect, after a cesarean. It was very hard to know what to do. It is, isn't it? Those early days, especially with breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and trying to get that right and it not working. You know, I hadn't caught up with it. I just couldn't make enough for Fred. And so after two weeks, they were threatening to take them back in to hospital because they both lost weight right and like the other thing when you're breastfeeding twins is you can't rest a nipple no (laughs) you know so Fred was quite rough and hungry clearly so he would kind of you know ruin one side Edie would be just sort of birding away on the other and you know I'll just have a little bit (laughs) dainty (laughs) that you know we were quite good at it and then you'd still have to put a baby on it because yeah rest it so it was it that's was the so... difficult thing about breastfeeding when you when you're sore knowing that you have to feed through it yeah yeah I can remember like nice, clenching my butt everything before putting the boys yeah. on a sore nipple oh I mean so you sore. literally remember it absolutely I mean the only plus side is I remember when I nearly got mastitis you know when you're sort of you're all swollen and it's mm. you know on a good note, I remember standing in the shower for a while and that not going down and then thinking, well, just keep putting a baby on it. And actually, you have got enough babies to, to, to sort that one out. That's OK. If one's not but, hungry, um, the other one will be. <laughs> someone will be. And, you know, I'm sure I probably fed Fred a couple more times than idiot points by accident. We used to put a hairband round one wrist and then just keep moving it, depending on what baby you'd, uh, you'd fed. I, I just hope, kept hope forgetting. For With the wrist thing, I just kept forgetting about yeah. changing it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Although one thing you did do, which you've told me about, when you started feeding your babies, you made everything. 
Oh yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. Somebody had said to me, who shall re- remain nameless, had said to me when I'd said, I'm, I can't wait to make baby food. I'm going to, you know, the weenie thing. I'm going to, I'm going to do a really good job of that. I think also, if I'm really honest, be it drama school, there were quite a lot of people with eating disorders. There are in our industry, aren't yeah. there? You know how it is. And I had known some kids when I was younger who had, and I'd always been really grateful by the time I got to university and never had any kind of concerns myself that I came from a really good solid meat and two veg family and things had been quite sort of, you know, my mum had, food had not been an issue at Mm. home and I'd been fed well and, you know, trying new foods was a good thing and, you know, had a healthy relationship with it and and I'm really glad of it. So as far as I was concerned, I thought the most terrifying thing a toddler could do to me would be to refuse to eat. I think it would be really scary it's a very powerful position for children to be in and and really scary because you just you know I'm a big feeder maybe I come from a long line of feeders really so it's just you can't think of anything worse Irish or Italian right yeah. <laughs> you know I kind of wanted to set up this healthy relationship with food and from right from the start and I'd also taken for granted really that my mum had grown my her own veg and we'd had such great sort of country food I'd sort of mentioned it really happy and gaily around this person who used to kind of be a bit competitive with me. And uh, it was a bloke. <laughs> and uh, he went, well, you say that now, you won't. I said, no, I will. He said, Shh, you won't. Can't do that with one baby. So you're not going to do it with two. You won't make all their food. And, blah, 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 and you're being unrealistic. You haven't got a clue. You just want to sleep. Get as much sleep as you can. Do all this. And it was just so cocky. I was like, well, I'll show you. So a bit of it, if I'm really honest, after that, I was like, well, I've bloody well will I'll make all the food so there were the two sort of things behind it but when I went back to work when they were five and a half months old I went to uh, Manchester to film a show called Candy Cabs about two women that open a cab company with a great girl called Lisa Miller and it, it was a really lovely show and it was a lovely director who started me out on No Angels so it was a really nice job to go back to yeah. but I think I was a bit crazy doing it but the idea of being able to do something different before I went back to EastEnders was just too exciting so off we went. Good old Neil straight away again was like, okay, that's, this is where the handover will happen. I'll come. I'll be a stay-at-home dad from that yeah. point. So they were five months old and he finished work and we moved to Manchester for two months. And I was doing what's called 11-day fortnight. So you were, six, you know, six-day week, five-day week, six-day week, five-day week. And I was a main part in it. So I was in constantly. Mm-hmm. And the kids were weaning by then. So I was then also putting these constraints on Neil going, well, you can't give them anything without me. Because he was like, I'm, I give them their first strawberry today. I was like, no, no, no. Well, you'll come to some godforsaken trailer park in the middle of Warrington in a car park at lunchtime with the two of them and some strawberries. And I will be there on my lunch break. So these poor kids had these first tastes of brilliant things, but just in awful little trailer parks all over the north. And, and yeah... It was a Sunday that I had off. Boots did these great stock cubes with low salt in them and stuff that you could do. So I was batch cooking. I think I was doing pears and pears and apples. Oh, I'll tell you what made a really nice combination was just peas and sweet corn mixed together. Mm. It's like peanut butter. It's really nice. So I was discovering new foods again myself, butternut squash. I'd never had a butternut squash in my life before, but now we were. I was making these, you know, a big chicken stew, a big beef one, I think. So we'd moved on a bit and we were doing proteins. Anyway, (laughs) I suddenly felt faint 
and my husband came up the stairs and I was, you know, there doing stuff and I thought, oh, I'm going to pass out. So I sat down on the floor and both looked at each other and thought, oh my God, could I be pregnant? Because I said to him, I've never felt like this since I was pregnant. Only when I'm pregnant have I thought I was going to pass out. And I looked at him and went, oh God, what if we're pregnant? And he said, no, darling, I think it's just, this is your first Sunday off. It's 8.30 in the morning and you've already made a chicken stew and a beef stew. I think think you might just be a bit exhausted. And I realised in that moment, actually, that I was racked with mother's guilt. Yeah. Working mum's guilt. I was so, I'd gone back a little bit early, if I'm honest, earlier than I should have, I realise now. And I was so guilty that all I could do was make sure that I was giving them the best food <laughs> somehow. So, yeah, silly, isn't it? That is one part of it, I think, that with Mother's Guilt. We have to re like look at it in a different way, don't we? Because you were out providing for your kids, you know, financially, you're out there working, you're making those meals. So you are offering and showing your love in different ways. Yeah, yeah, we are. It, it's true. It's hard when you're in those early days, isn't it? I feel yeah. a bit better about it now that I'm older. But um, definitely those early years, I really struggled. Yeah. I think also knowing that they were my one and onlys. That's why I left the show in the end and we moved back because before they start, I suddenly thought they're going to start school soon and that was that. Yeah. And I was working so much of it. And when I wasn't working, I was intensely there, you know, but... Yeah, I was really glad that I kind of almost split my maternity leave. I had sort of five months at home first off. And then when they were about three and a half, I had another six months at home. Before oh, that's I went, good. Went off. Yeah, so just before they started school. So that, you know, yeah, so that worked out well. Yeah, that's nice. Is motherhood what you thought it would be? Do you know, I think it's better. I think I worried a lot more about getting a lot more things wrong and actually I think that I really trust them I don't underestimate them and as long as we talk Mm. all of us I think it's going to be okay (laughs) so I think it's better than I thought I thought there would be more frantic times and you know certainly earlier on twins the other great thing about twins is that you kind of it takes a lot of the the self-doubt in those early days can be less because actually those times when you would be going, I don't know why he hasn't slept because I fed him this like I did yesterday and the book says this and I did that and now he hasn't slept. And then you'd have another one there who did sleep and you go, oh, well, it's nothing I'm doing. It's just their personalities and, you know, they eat and sleep differently and they are different little people. So, you know, you actually give yourself a bit of slack in that sense and some of the other things that are easier are kind of first days at nursery and things like that where you you can feel you're abandoning your child and then they just have this little buddy with them with their arm around them or just trying to get them to go to sleep but you leave them I'd sit on the stairs sometimes just listening to them babbling away together (laughs) you don't feel so bad about them being in the dark there for an hour before they've actually fallen asleep because they don't they're just chatting away you know yeah so some of it was easier than I thought I think yeah if you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I think I'd write it to all new mums, but particularly young new mums. And I think it would say it would say two things. It would say it would say three things. Mm-hmm. It would say trust your instincts because they're probably right. And don't, you know, don't let someone else make you doubt them. Trust them. 
it would say don't worry about what other people think because that can interfere with your parenting you know sometimes I'll see a parent out and the kid's having a massive tantrum about wanting something and and you can see that they're a bit flustered and a bit embarrassed about the noise the kid's making because they've said no to it and they end up giving in for the sake of other people's feelings when actually you know you should stand by that you've done you've made a good decision you've said no you mean no let them shout it's other people's problem isn't it you know Mm. the last thing is something my mum told me and I definitely did this I'm really glad she told me she said quite early on if any new mum tells you or any mum tells you that they haven't thought about dropping their baby just that inch further into the cot and they haven't lost it at some point and shouted and they haven't felt like the worst mum in the world then they're lying and she said that moment will come and when it does make your baby safe and walk away and I remember vividly that day coming quite early on and I'd washed them I'd cleaned them they were fed they were clean they were fine and they wouldn't stop screaming in stereo and I didn't know what else to do and I was absolutely exhausted and I just wanted to scream and I was snowing outside and I remember I just heard my mum's voice and then I'd go and make them safe and walk away and I put them both in their Moses baskets and they were facing the French windows these glass windows and I walked out of my front door in my flip-flops in the snow up to the top of my garden where I could see them and they were lying there going "Ah," like that (laughs) But I couldn't hear them anymore. So it wasn't hitting my heart anymore. And I just took a few breaths and I just stood at the top of the garden looking at these screaming babies thinking, I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want from me. Rather than staying there and shouting, Mm -hmm. staying there and screaming, you know, and, and I think of that NSPCC brilliant advert they used to have where there's a baby screaming and they've got a pencil and they're just writing and then eventually they snap the pencil and it used to say a baby's arm is that easy to break and it used to really I used to think you can be a really perfectly sane well-educated kind calm person and screams and cries can get to you and hit your heart in a way you wouldn't believe would they and you, you know new depths of patience are needed and so I think it's really good to be honest with each other and let all new mums know just keep them safe and walk away yeah go and find someone if you need to what brilliant advice when you said it I can you know we've all had that moment yeah haven't we? absolutely yeah. absolutely it's human yeah yeah and we're all learning and we're gonna get it wrong when you know no matter how old your kids are I think you're always gonna yeah you know. absolutely we finish the podcast on you completing three sentences. The first one is being a mum means. Everything. And worrying. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Next sentence is since having children, I worry a lot. <laughs> um, I worry a lot, but I also laugh a lot. You know, they are like our proper buddies to mm. us. But yeah, I think you kind of give birth to guilt and worry. And I can't see that getting any less. Like I've said, I'm a forward planner. I'm already worrying about Fred on the night bus in London. You know, (laughs) what can you do? You are edging closer to that. 
Aren't you? Not too I... close. Not yet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I keep friends... telling them not to grow, and I think I've, it's worked. They are quite small. <laughs> when friends of ours, you know, they're in their teens, so me and Tom are 13. So to my oh, friends, I'm like, you just never know who's in their class right now who might yes, just, they could you end know... up marrying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you never know. So final sentence is, I'm happy when. Oh, Sunday roast and a fire with the family. It's my happiest when we're all safe and we're all well and everybody's happy and fed. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been really lovely. I really, really loved it. Just lovely to, yeah, like we said, it's that thing of I feel like certain experiences around motherhood and, and becoming a mum that it doesn't matter when you hear that experience, you know, in your own journey, whether it's when you're in it or whether it's two decades later, I think it's also healing. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been nice to reminisce about that, actually. Yeah. Good and the bad. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.